0: Preach to you from the subject PPP. P P P. And no, I'm not talking about the payroll protection program. I'm talking about the purpose protection program. Father, help us in the name of Jesus as we preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, seems like forever ago our government noticed the crash of the economy when we shut the world down and so they issued a stimulus. Inside the stimulus was something called PPP, Payroll Protection Program. They told small businesses if you'll stay open, even though you can't run your business, if you'll keep your employees paid, if you won't lay people off, we'll give you something called PPP, And we will guarantee with the PPP that all of your employees can continue receiving a paycheck. We'll give you up to eight weeks of the salary of your employees. And if you don't lay anybody off, uh, much of the money will convert from a loan into a grant. You won't even have to, to pay it back. It's a guarantee. It's PPP. Well, when the PPP hit, we started seeing small businesses denied and huge corporations, Fortune 500 companies, and even the Los Angeles Lakers got their PPP. When hundreds of thousands of small businesses who were promised the PPP were slowly dying and going bankrupt, closing their doors, some forever, all while waiting on the guaranteed protection of the P. PP. So after the Fortune 500 companies and the large corporations and the people on Wall Street and uh, billion-dollar sports franchises, after they got theirs, they said, oh, it's run out. We need to do another program, and, and this time it'll be for the small businesses. And, and so they did a second round and a third, and now they're working on a fourth round of the PPP. And if there's anything we've learned from the government's guarantees is that you can't always trust it when man gives you a guarantee. You cannot build your life, your future, or your plans based off a man's guarantee. PPP has failed many people who are still waiting on it who applied for the very first round, the very first day it was available, and yet the guarantee failed them. But the Christian faith, on the other hand, is full of promises from God. In fact, promise isn't a strong enough word. Guarantee is a better word. And one of the promises of God is the purpose protection Program. That when God assigns purpose to your life, no force in this earth can stop your purpose. That when God establishes destiny over you, the scripture says he is able to keep that or preserve that which is committed unto him. Against that evil day, meaning there's not a day that's evil enough to cancel your purpose in God. Before I really begin handling the text, I want you to know the story of Samson is my least favorite story to hear preached. Because in my opinion, almost every preacher butchers the story. They preach Samson's story and they teach about his life from the perspective of a cautionary tale. They show you how strong he was and how mightily God used him. And then they they say, but, but see, he got connected with Delilah and he made some bad decisions. And he started making bad choices and his bad choices canceled his purpose. And when preachers say this, they prove that they are illiterate of the scripture and they are foreign to God's mind. Because if you understand Samson, you will know that the purpose of God over Samson's life was not to live without adversity and without problems and die at a nice ripe old age and have plenty of wealth and plenty of things around him. No, Samson's mother couldn't have children. God Gave her this child and sent an angel and told the mother what the purpose for Samson's life was going to be. And God let them know his main purpose in life was to deliver Israel from the hand of the oppression of the Philistines. And if you consider that Samson's number one purpose, his reason for living, his reason for being born was destroying Philistines, and then you read the last verse that we read in the text, The scripture says that in Samson's death, he killed more Philistines than he ever did in his life. You cannot conclude any other conclusion other than Samson fulfilled his purpose in God. Not even his mistakes were able to cancel the purpose of God in his life. And I want to tell you, not even your mistakes can cancel the purpose of God in your life. Not even your failures or your flaws or your losses can cancel the purpose of God in your life. Now, sure, God offers us an easier road to get there, and we'll discuss that in a minute. Sure, there are some things, there are some pitfalls in life that through wisdom and obedience we can avoid but stop canceling people's destiny just because they have a fall. Stop canceling people's destiny just because they go through a down season and make mistakes. Our God is a God who sees the end from the beginning, and he wouldn't have told me about it in the beginning unless he had already seen it in the end. Our God is a God of strategy, of meticulous planning, of meticulous order, and when he speaks a thing in the beginning. It will happen before the end one way or the other. It's the purpose protection program. The Christian faith, as I said a few moments ago, is full of guarantees. If you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation is a guarantee. Deliverance is a guarantee. Blessing is a guarantee. Victory in the end is a guarantee. But many Christians seek a different kind of guarantee from God. They want a guarantee that they will not go through trouble and affliction. They want a guarantee that suffering will not touch them. But the apostle Paul said of Christians, we are pressed above measure That we are persecuted but not forsaken. That we are struck down but not destroyed. Revealing to us that God never guaranteed we would not go through affliction and adversity. That God never guaranteed we would not go through crisis and difficult times. But he did guarantee that through our suffering we would be partakers in the glory of God. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 and 13, the apostle writes, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. That's what trouble does. That's what trials do. That's what times of crisis do. They try you and they weigh you in the balance. He said, don't think it strange when the trial comes to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice, verse 13, to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Peter reveals that a Christian suffering is different than the suffering of everyone else in the world. Did you hear what I said? A Christian suffering is different than any other person suffering in the world. Why? Why? Because when a Christian suffers, it attracts the glory of God. What? What is the glory of God? We talk about it a lot, but what is it? The glory of God is the thing That makes God unlike anything else. The glory of God is the essence of his nature manifested in the earth. The glory of God is the supernatural substance of all that he is. The closest analogy, and it's not a perfect analogy, but the closest analogy I can give you is the glory of God is the inward substance of the life of God. Like what our blood is to us, that's what the glory of God is to him. If you get my blood, you get all of my DNA signatures and all of the makeup that makes me me. You get all of the levels that's going on in my body. You get all of the genetic information. You get everything you need about me information-wise and essence-wise if you get my blood. It's the same thing with God and His glory. His glory is the thing about Him that makes Him unlike anything else. It's the thing that distinguishes Him from the rest of creation. It's the thing that makes Him able to do what He does, which is unlike anything else. And so Peter has dropped a bomb of revelation on Christians Concerning suffering. He says, when you suffer as a Christian, your suffering attracts the glory of God. We see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus suffered on the cross. He suffered at the whipping post. He suffered with nails through his hands and feet. He suffered when they took him down and they buried him in a borrowed tomb. But After his suffering, the glory of God was revealed and not even death was strong enough to hold Jesus down when the glory was revealed. So what Peter is teaching us is, is your greatest suffering will produce your greatest breakthrough. The greater the difficulty in your life that you are going through, the greater the glory of God, the inner substance of his power that will manifest in your life. The other thing he wants us to know is that God will not allow you to face something that he has not already given you the strength to handle. Paul said, Paul said, I can't believe it. As hard as I've been pressed, I should have been crushed. As hard as I've been struck down, I should have been destroyed. But somehow and some way, even after as hard as I've been pressed, I am still here. Anybody in the place today know what it's like to be pressed? Anybody watching online right now know what it's like to be pressed? Anybody know what it's like to live through a pressing season? I like coming to church and praising God with pressed people. Praise sounds different coming out of pressed people. Worship feels different coming out of pressed people. Now, most people want to be delivered from adversity, meaning it never touches them. But if it never touches you, it cannot perform the work of revealing and trying your faith. That's what Peter said. Our trials and adversity reveal whether there's real faith down in your spirit or not. You, you can't tell if there's real faith or if it's just fake church talk until the fire comes. You can't tell if there's real faith in God, that you believe the word of God more than you believe the news, that you believe the word of God more than you believe the government, that you believe the word of God more than you believe a doctor or a scientist. You can't tell where you really stand until the fire of affliction is set upon your life. The trials come to separate the posers from the real genuine article believers. The trial comes to reveal your faith. And when you're standing in faith while you're suffering, it attracts the glory of God. Don't misunderstand me. You heard me say that suffering attracts the glory of God. But listen, not everybody's suffering does. The only suffering that attracts the glory of God is a person of faith who's suffering and yet still believing. In the trial and yet still believing. Things falling all around him but still standing in faith, going through the difficulty saying, God, no matter what I see or what I hear or what I think in my natural mind, I still believe your word has the final say. That's the kind of person whose suffering attracts the glory of God. And I want to tell you, to all of you who've been pouting on God, saying, why did God let this happen to me? God didn't let it happen to you. He let it happen for you. Because there will be glory after this. There's enough of us that have been suffering and yet standing in faith. There will be glory after this. There's enough of us who have kept on pressing. There will be glory after this. Samson, Samson was born not to have a nice, easy life. He was born so that he could be a deliverer for Israel. He did not take a Nazarite vow. I heard some idiot say, yeah, Samson took a Nazarite vow. No, he didn't. A Nazarite vow was placed over him when he was still in his mother's belly. A Nazarite vow was a covenant. It was a contract. It was an agreement. It was a way for a human being to establish a contract with God. The tenets of the Nazarite vow were very simple. He wasn't allowed to have any alcohol. He wasn't allowed to touch anything dead. And he wasn't allowed to ever put a razor upon his head. His purpose was to deliver his people from the Philistines. Meaning he would live in a constant state of conflict with the enemy. And he didn't choose the fight. His purpose chose the fight for him. Did you hear what I said? He didn't, as a person, choose the warfare. His purpose chose it for him. Sometimes you can't help the fights you have to take on. And we realize a prophetic principle from the text that the intensity of our warfare may only be the identifier of the intensity and the call of the purpose of God on your life. Your purpose will draw your enemies to the surface. The greater the enemies, the greater the purpose. Listen to me. The greater the warfare you go through in any certain thing, the greater the purpose. The warfare wouldn't come unless the purpose was so great that the enemy did not want it to be completed. You understand what I'm saying? Let me bring this into the practical. Some of you that are having serious trouble with your children right now they're acting up things were, were, were bad at school before all of this and things have been worse since all this started their behavior is not right their relationships with others aren't right just everything's going wrong with the child and you're worried about your child I want you to press pause on the worry for just a minute and consider the other side of it why is the enemy fighting so hard against that child Why is the enemy doing everything he can to drive division between you and that child and change your perspectives of each other? Why? It could be that the child has great purpose and the enemy is trying to snuff out the purpose now because he knows if the child keeps on going, he's going to walk right into or she's going to walk right into the purpose God destined for them. Or if you're struggling mightily in your marriage right now and things have been tight in the house, things have been difficult and your communication is frayed, everything's tense, everything's difficult, you've thought about quitting on the relationship, just press pause for a second and consider why are you being fought so hard? Why is the enemy trying to push you two away from each other? Why does the enemy bombard your mind with thoughts of getting out and thoughts of quitting and thoughts of giving up? It's because that relationship has a purpose that the enemy does not want you to stay together in order to see. There's something coming that's bigger than what you're seeing right now. And the enemy desperately doesn't want you to continue because he wants to cancel the purpose. The warfare is always over the purpose. And the greatest strategy the enemy has against us is to cause us, hear me people of God, hear me. Hear me as I give you a revelation of what your enemy wants to do. The enemy's greatest strategy, his best weapon is to cause us to look at our future with doubt and fear and unbelief, believing that tomorrow will be worse than today. Believing that next week will be worse than this week. Believing that next month and next year will be worse. He wants you to look at the future with negativity. I'm not judging you. I love you. But you need to stop putting those negative posts on Facebook. Saying that if we reopen we're all going to die. And everybody's going to get sick. And everybody's going to perish. Have you forgotten as a Christian that your bible you say you believe still says that the power of life and death is in your tongue and when you speak certain things and you post certain things and you put certain things out there you have to ask yourself the question what source is motivating me to put this out is this god or is this the spirit of this age and the spirit of this world is this faith or is this doubt Anything motivating you to look toward your future with fear is the work of the enemy. I don't think you heard me. I don't think you heard me. And he will often disguise it under the guise of caution and safety and all of those kind of things. But when you boil it all the way down, fear will always just be fear. And faith will always just be faith. You can't have a little of both inside the same phrase. Fear is fear. Faith is faith. And anything motivating you to fear is not of God. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Anything motivating you to look at the future with negativity is not coming from God. We have a brilliant enemy. Jesus said that the children of darkness are wiser they're brighter they're more intelligent than the children of light we have a brilliant enemy he will use any delivery method that he has to in order to get you to buy into fear if it's causing you to doubt your future if it's causing you to believe that things will get worse for you instead of better If God has not proven himself to you up until this point, what more can he do? If God hasn't proven he's a man of his word, what more can he do? If God hasn't proven he can keep you, what more could he do? He wants to cancel your walk of faith, your daily progression of faith. And calls you to look forward into doubt. He wants to seduce you into walking by what you see with sight. Rather than walking by what you hear from the word of God. Walking by faith. Why? Because if he can cause you to look at the future with doubt. Then you will not have the faith you need to lay hold of the purpose when you reach the day. You see God gave us time so that his purpose may be revealed in our days. Did you hear me? God gave us time, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. God exists outside of time in eternity. But he gave us time so that time could slowly unravel his predestined purpose for our lives day by day. So every day you wake up, you wake up on purpose. You wake up in the purpose of God. Every day you keep walking by faith. You gradually are walking out the purpose for that day. That's why the enemy wants you to look at tomorrow and at next week and at next month and at next year with doubt, fear, and unbelief. So that he will cancel your plans to take the future by faith. He knows if you keep walking by faith that your purpose is unstoppable. All of Samson's life, the enemy was attacking his purpose. It looked like the enemy was just attacking him. No, the enemy was attacking his purpose. All of your life, the enemy has been attacking your purpose. It's not as much about you as it is about the purpose that God put in your life to be accomplished by your days, your weeks, your months, and your years. The Philistines hired someone to seduce Samson. The scripture says in Judges sixteen four that he fell in love with her, that he loved her with his heart. Be careful with that. Because when it comes to attacks, the enemy will often use what you love to attack you. The enemy will often try to gain a door of access to your heart by attacking something that you love. The enemy is wise. He knew that he couldn't come and attack Samson head on. Anyone that attacked Samson head on failed miserably because of the glory of God revealed in his life. So instead of attacking him head on, they got somebody that he could fall in love with. And they sent the attack through them. Listen to me, people. If anybody loves you, if you have anybody in your life and you know that they love you, you need to make an agreement and a covenant with yourself that you will not allow yourself to become a tool of the enemy in their life. That you will not allow yourself to become a puppet that the enemy can twist and turn to hurt the people that you love. He loved Delilah. And in verse 5 and 6, she started asking him, tell me where the source of your strength lies. Why can't we defeat you? Why can't any of the Philistines, no matter how many come against you, why can't we find success? How is this great strength possible? What's the source of it? And finally, Samson breaks down and tells her that he has a Nazarite covenant with God. That it's his connection to God through an established covenant that allows spiritual supernatural force to flow through his natural body. He tells her that the source of his strength is his spiritual connection to God. Basically, the Nazarite vow was simply a covenant An agreement that God made with a human being that enacts spiritual law. For Samson, it was a Nazarite vow. For us in the New Testament church today, we don't have a Nazarite vow, but we do have a covenant of faith that's sealed and bonded by your faith in the name of Jesus Christ. The scripture said, whoever calls on the name of Jesus Christ in faith shall be saved. That's the tenets of the faith covenant. That you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth after hearing the word of God, which produces faith according to Romans 10. That inward belief and outward confession signs and seals a covenant, an agreement, a spiritual connection bound by covenant between you and God. And Samson revealed that that was the source of his strength. So the scripture says that Delilah lulled him to sleep. And she had someone come in and shave the seven locks of his hair. It's interesting because hair is made up of strands. Those of you that have a full head of hair... It, it, you stand back from a distance and it looks like just one thing, unless it's blowing in the wind like mine is right now. But, but it's not just one thing. It's, it's many thousands of strands held together. And This is prophetic revelation revealing that God's covenant with us is established in strands. The scripture says that a threefold cord is not easily broken. The ministry gift of the New Testament church was established in strands. There's five of them. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. The gifts of the Holy Ghost are established in strands. There is nine of them. The functions of the practical roles of the New Testament church was established in strands. There's 16 of them. In other words, with God, it's not one thing. It's often many things tied together. But when Delilah shaved Samson's head, she was severing the final strand of the covenant that he had made with God. You will remember the Nazarite vow had three strands. He wasn't allowed to drink strong drink. Well, he had already done that. He wasn't allowed to touch anything dead. But if you know your Bible, you'll remember when he was walking on the road, he saw a carcass of a dead lion with honey inside it. And he stopped and he reached in the dead carcass of the lion to eat the honey. That was another strand that he had severed. He was literally holding on to his purpose by a strand. There was one thing left that he hadn't violated. There was one law left that he hadn't broken. And it was shaving his head. And when he gave her the precious information that if his hair was shaven, that he would be like any other person. He severed that final last strand of his covenant connection with God. Seven locks from his hair represented the seven spirits of God. God had literally put the identity of his spirit on Samson's life. Isaiah 11 tells us about the seven spirits of God, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of reverence. But when she cut that hair, she cut his spiritual connection to God. Then she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He said, no problem. I'll get up and go shake myself as I have at other times, and I'll get the victory. But the scripture says he did not know that the Lord had departed from him when the final strand of the covenant was broken. He went out and he went through the motions. He did all the things that he normally would do, but the Power had left him and the reason many Christians are being wounded by the devil in this season is that we've been shaking ourselves and going through the motions, but the power is not there because strands of our covenant relationship with God have been cut. And we come to church and we say the right things and we act the right way. But there's been a severance on the inside of our spiritual connection with God. There are several strands to your covenant of faith. Hearing the word of God preached regularly and allowing it to convict you. That's a strand of your faith. When the word of God preached no longer convicts you, it means you are beside yourself and you think you have arrived. Even if you are a leader or a pastor, you should not be able to sit under too many messages of the preached word of God without feeling conviction in your spirit. Because John said, if we say no, we have no sin, we lie and deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. One of the purposes of the word of God is to convict sin and to keep you from lying to yourself so when it is preached, it raises your issues to the forefront so you can say, Lord, forgive me of that. Help me repent and turn away from that. It's one of the strands. But where there is no conviction, there is no repentance. That's another strand of our faith connection with God. If you're not regularly seeking the Lord in repentance, if you're not regularly falling on the rock to be broken before Him and saying, Lord, if there's anything in me unclean that's not like You, wash me and purge me, take it out of me, create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. I know I'm not perfect. I know there's flaws. I know there's sin. So I come every day like Jesus said, and I say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. It's a strand of your covenant. The words you speak are a strand of your covenant connection with God. James said in his epistle, How can bitter and sweet water flow out of the same cistern or flow out of the same well? That when there's bitterness in you, the way you know is it leaks out through your speech. And when you are regularly speaking bitter words, sour words, salty words, nasty words, it's a strand of your covenant. Those of you that have made the decision to stay away from church Maybe this is your first time logging on in a while. You made the decision just to hunker down and stay away. The scripture still says in Hebrews, to forsake not the assembling of yourself together as believers. Why? It is a strand of your covenant connection with God. It's one of the seven locks of your hair. It's one of the strands of your covenant agreement. And the enemy wants to break every strand. How you live your life, your morals, your integrity. It's a strand of your covenant connection with God. It doesn't mean you're saved or not. You're saved because of what Jesus did. But your choice to hear what the word of God says concerning your lifestyle after salvation your choice to obey that and walk in that is one of the strands of your spiritual connection to God that gives you force in the earth. So there's a lot of us shaking ourselves. There's a lot of us going through the motions, but the motions have no power unless God's spirit is attached to it. So he allowed himself to be cut all the way off and his strength left him and without his strength he cannot accomplish his purpose so for the moment it looked like his purpose had been voided by his own decisions and I could agree with preachers that say that except for this verse in verse 21 and 22, it says they put out his eyes. They bound him and put him in prison. and They made him grind in their mealhouse, walking around in circles. But then it says, however, the hair of his head began to grow again. The word, however, is an adverb used to contradict something that was previously established. So what is the scripture saying? It's saying, yes, he was bound. Yes, he was cut off. Yes, he's blind. However, his hair began to grow again, teaching us the powerful point that, yes, your spiritual connection to God can be severed and cut, but it can also be restored because of his grace. And if you're wrong in your heart today, If your spiritual connection to God has been cut off, God still wants to put a however where the enemy tried to end your story. Verse 25 through 27, they brought him out at one of their great banquets. His enemies brought him out in chains. They wanted to show him off like a trophy and say, See, see how we conquered the great mighty man? So they brought him out to throw food at him and to spit at him and to make fun of him for being blind. And when they did, they didn't know that his hair had grown back. His covenant connection had been restored. Problem is, he has his strength, he has his covenant, but he has no vision. They put out his eyes. So God gives him a little boy to lead him to the pillars. When God gets ready to send breakthrough in your life, he will always assign to you what you do not have. If God knows that you need something to accomplish your purpose, he'll always assign it to you to make sure you can do what you do. So look at the interesting component in the text. The little boy has no strength, but he's got vision. Samson's got strength, but he has no vision. So in order for this breakthrough to happen, there has to be partnership. I want you to know and watch in your life over the next few months. God is going to assign partners to you that have things you need and you have things they need. God wants to move in partnership. So God gives a partner, number one. Number two, God hears a prayer. In verse 28, Samson prayed one more time. How would you pray if you knew that victory was only one prayer away? The enemy tries to erode our confidence in our prayer life by attacking our faith in tomorrow. He wants you to stop praying. But there's always that one prayer That is the prayer that leads to breakthrough. Number one, God gives a partner. Number two, God hears a prayer. And then number three, one more push fulfilled the purpose. Samson has the little boy lead him. He says, tell me where to stand and tell me where to put my hands. And he has the courage, the faith, and the expectation To push one more time. The problem with the crisis we've been going through. It's not been to destroy us in one blow. It's been to try to wear us down. It's been to try to exhaust us. Exhaust us mentally and exhaust us spiritually. So that we don't pray that one prayer that releases the power so that we don't push that one more time because we've pushed so many other times and it hasn't moved. But God wanted to teach his people through this text that there's always a prayer. There's always a push. There's always a partner that will lead to victory. There's always a prayer. There's always a partner. There's always a push. There's always a Prayer. there's always a partner there's always a, a put there's always a prayer there's always a partner there's there's always a put there's always a PPP a purpose protection program And God orchestrated it to where that final push, Fulfilled a lifetime of his purpose with the deaths of his enemies. That all he had done up to that point in his life was not as successful as that one last push. I wanna talk to tired people. I wanna talk to frustrated people. I wanna talk to people who are going through hell in your house, hell with your children, hell in your marriage, hell in your finances. And the enemy slowly started to make you believe that tomorrow's not going to be better and next week's not going to be better, and there's not going to be any relief from this. God sent me here to tell you about the PPP, the Purpose Protection Program. God sent me here to tell you he's got a partner for you, that he will hear your prayer, and that if you will push one more time, breakthrough is going to come into your life your purpose will not be voided your purpose will not be canceled and i want to tell you to remember the source of your strength remember the source of your strength is your spiritual connection with god the source of your strength is having your heart right with god and if you don't Know for sure that it is. The book of Romans gave us a clear remedy to restore our connection, to restore our spiritual standing with God. Peter talked about it in Acts chapter 2. He said, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, repent. Repent. And the times of refreshing will come from the Lord. John preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Paul preached, repent. John preached, repent. Titus preached, repent. Peter preached, repent. If there's something in your life that shouldn't be there, you can lift up your hand right where you are and you can pray this prayer with me. The scripture guarantees this. The scripture underwrites this guarantee. God in heaven, not the government, not people. God in heaven, through his eternal word, the oak of God planted in the forest of eternity, entwining its roots around the rock of ages, it guarantees this principle. That if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That if you call on the name of Jesus in faith, that you shall be saved. If you want to, you can pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are who the gospel says you are. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe by the glory of God, you were raised back to life on the third day and today i come to you with one more prayer i'm a sinner i have committed sins i have done wrong against your word but right now i ask for your grace to fall on me i plead the blood of jesus that was shed from my forgiveness over my life i pray that you would cleanse me i pray that you would live in my heart that you would fill me with your spirit. I pray that you would lead me and guide me as we walk in fellowship together. I reject fear. I accept faith. And I will move forward into my purpose with you day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you today, Christian world.